The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and at iTunes Podcasts. Uh, you know, I got to apologize for last week. I don't know if you heard the exasperation in my voice when I started to do that on Blog Talk Radio. And I said, hey, everybody, it's Chris Sheeran. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> it's like, really? They threw in really? the tag there without, uh, yeah. And, and then I came back in. Hi, everybody. This is Chris Sheeran again. No, but uh, Lou was away on assignment. and um, <laughs> On assignment. Yeah, he wasn't around. Uh, so I, just, I was suspended seven games for throwing in another podcast yes, host. Yes, he was. <clears throat> but uh, I, I figured I needed to talk about the Yankees and the Giants, and I got it out there, and it was fine. It was only 15 minutes, but hey, that's all they gave me. It, it was, you know, I joined for free, and we move on. But we have plenty to talk about this week as we're back. We're both back in our headquarters here, uh, dodging death. <laughs> Every week we do this. Uh, someday soon we'll explain what that means, but uh, you're just going to have to... It's going to be like one of those teases, cliffhangers, that just keeps going and going and going. Next time we periscope, you can show the uh, yeah. periscopers yeah. what we mean with our death trap. It's like American Ninja Warrior podcast it is. edition in here. It is. It is. But um, here's how I know the apocalypse is nigh. Okay? Cool. You ready? There is a liberal pope. That's number one. He's coming around. He's, he, you He'll know, be in the city tomorrow. And he's, and he's with the time. I plan to leave here somewhere around 7 a.m. to make sure I'm at the stadium at, by 3 o'clock. And his messages are all about what Jesus' messages were for Christians, mm -hmm. accepting everybody and mm -hmm. not shutting anybody out. That's number one. You mean as opposed to not issuing marriage licenses to gay people even though Correct. you've been married four times yourself? Correct. Like and, that? Gotcha. And let me, let me just mm -hmm. say at the beginning, I love this guy. <laughs> I love this pope. I've been waiting for a pope like this my entire life. Pope John Paul was, was, I'm at a freaking was great. Pope. Yeah, he was great. But this guy, I, I love it. It, it, it. You know, he speaks his mind. Uh, he, he agrees with a lot of the things that he, he's advancing. You know, it, he knows it's not 2,000 years ago, pretty much. Right. You know, you have to move on with the times. But anyway, that, that being said, there is a reality star. Reality star. That is leading the Republican nomination for president right now. That's two. Did you see – you, do you still watch South Park? Yeah. Do yourself a favor and watch last night's. I, I watched the first one. I didn't just, like just, it. Just watch last night's. Last it's, night's was good? It's tremendous in terms of Donald Trump. Oh, okay. Yes. Then I'll, I'll give it a look. Um, and the third thing that, that is telling me that the apocalypse is near is that I have more to bitch about. At this point in time, right now, about the Giants and the Yankees, than Mets and Jets fans do. I do have to bleep that out. I don't think I do. I don't think you do. We should do a podcast one day where we just bleep out a random word like smell. And every time like we use that word, I just bleep it you out. You said bitch, moan, and complain right. before. But I'm just saying we should do that and just see if anyone can guess like what word we bleeped out throughout the whole podcast. It can be a random word like water. You know what I mean? Just boom. It gets bleeped out. Kind of like the, the Sesame Street thing where if you bleep out the word count in the count song. Oh, it's great. It sounds like it's, it's the tremendous. most vulgar song in the world. It's we got to do something Counting, like yes. When he says counting, counting, yes. counting, 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 yeah. Uh, Ori Emma turned me on to that. Yeah. <laughs> and I cry laughing every time I watch it. But anyway, we're going to save Sorry. football. We're gonna, no, it's all right. We're going to save football. Those were the top three reasons why I think the apocalypse is coming. And I thought about that coming in today. 
We have to start with the Yankees. And I know you have a lot to throw at me. We should really start with Yogi Berra. Um, we're now 24 hours removed from right. the beginning of our coverage and all that. So I digress. We, I, I am pumped up on caffeine. I'm yes, sorry. And we, I'm so ready to talk about my teams. I can't help it. I apologize to the people out there who might want to hear uh, more about Yogi Berra. But I'm ready, I'm ready and raring to go on. I don't, I don't know if there's anything more that needs to be said. But I think we should acknowledge that, yes, we you know, fall in line with uh, you know, those who express their condolences, grief, uh, memories of Yogi yesterday, that he was an awesome dude. For lack of a better word, so. he, he, he was. Uh, uh, see, look, I, I I didn't really get on Twitter about it. No, me um, either. I was kind of busy. Yeah, I, I I said a couple of quotes, but they were his. Um, this episode, as you're listening to it, is named after a yogiism. So I suggested I suggested that the Yankees in their last home game on Sunday, I believe it is. Against the White Sox, correct? Well, Thursday against next Thursday against Boston oh, ne- is next the actual Thursday. finale. Next Thursday against Boston, I think that would be a fitting tribute, especially against the Red Sox. Uh, if the Yankees all wore number eight, much akin to Jackie Robinson Sunday. Day on yep. April fifteenth, you know, there was somebody on Twitter that, of course, trolled me and said, uh, you know, when a number's retired. Uh, it kind of takes away from everybody wearing it. And I said, well, what about Jackie? He said, exactly. It takes away. And I said, no, it doesn't. And here's my point. There are kids in the stadium on that day, on Jackie Robinson Day every year. And what that does, if parents don't teach their kids about this in the first place, is that keeps Jackie alive. That keeps kids, future generations, asking questions. Who was that? Why is everybody wearing 42? Right. That's what it does. So if you did that for Yogi on the last day of the season, I'm not saying do it. You can't, you can't do it every year. It can't be hokey like that. You look beyond the, the wall out there. You see the two number eights. One of them is Yogi. The other one is Bill Dickey. But it would really mean, I, you know, you bring in Gidry. You bring in guys that, that it meant a lot to them. You bring them into the stadium. You, you do a little pregame ceremony. You paint the number eights, and everybody wear eight. I think that would be an extremely fitting tribute mm-hmm. to the guy. Uh, no one had a bad word about this guy. And the only story I have, and it's not even a connection between – I never met the guy personally. I was in the dugout with him many times. And I would always take – you know, I've been starstruck maybe three times in my life. Once with Joe DiMaggio in 97 at the World Series where he stepped into an elevator that I was in. I've yep. talked You've about told it before. You've told that story. Yep. Muhammad Ali at the Super Bowl in 2000 walked in right by me when the Tyson fight was about to happen that night. And when Yogi Berra shuffled his way into the dugout in Clearwater in 2009, you know, I got goosebumps all over because this is a guy that my uncles watched. You know, they could tell me he was better than somebody now because they actually saw the guy play. My father calls me up screaming at me. I got to hear Tim Kirkjian say Johnny Bench was a better catcher than Yogi Berra. Take everything ESPN baseball analysts say with a grain of salt. But anyway, I, this, was, this was my one connection to Yogi. And I know my, Michael Kay did a tremendous job yesterday. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, everybody on Yes did a great job, Jack and Bob, the whole crew. But Michael, when something like this happens, especially with, with a Yankee, in my estimation, there's nobody better. 
He is like a walking Yankee encyclopedia. When Phil Rizzuto died, I remember like yesterday, I think it was back in 2010, he had to do a three-minute analyst report on Rizzuto. They counted him down, three minutes on the dot, and the stories he told in that. I mean, no retakes. It was the first take, and he went right through it. The job he did yesterday, and you gotta, he broke down a couple times. He knew him. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew him personally for a very long time. Let me get back to my story because I'm on a caffeine like tangent all over the place. But that dugout in Clearwater, to see guys like Nick Swisher and all the young guys back then in 2009 just looking at him like I was looking at him. I'm talking about professional players, future Hall of Famers maybe, treating him with the reverence and respect that he deserved. And the other thing, you know, I've known him my whole life. The first Yogi I knew was Yogi Bear. The other one I knew was Yogi Bear. And by the way, the AP, I don't know if you saw it. No. But the AP, their wire alert said New York Yankees Yogi Bear died. This is why news people should never do sports, by the way. Just, put, just throwing that out there. But I got to give my buddy Mark Ernay from 1010 Wins props for putting that on Facebook. Anyway, no one ever had a bad thing to say about the guy, and they're right. Everybody treated him with respect, and you heard the story from Ron Guidry yesterday whenever they went out to eat. Yep. It was always taken care of. So, it, listen, you could be sad. By all means, you could be sad. But what a life. I mean, what a run this guy had. And like Michael said yesterday, it's not just baseball. This guy was part of the D-Day invasion. I forget who, who they said said it, but yesterday it was said that when asked to describe Yogi in one sentence, it was Hall of Fame player, even better person. Right. Right. And, and, and we, that pretty and when, much hits the nail on that. And when the Presidential Medal of Freedom um, petition began back the, late, earlier this summer – you know, we had it up on YesNetwork.com, and it, it listed all the things he's done, both, you know, like you said, with his naval service and since then charity work and everything he's done since outside of the baseball realm, just to kind of put it in perspective of what a person he was. I only met him once for a brief second. He was in the <clears throat> you're the only one that'll know what I mean by this, but when you walk into the Yankees clubhouse in Yankee Stadium, there's that little hallway before you get into mm-hmm. the actual locker room mm-hmm. part of the clubhouse. And he was just hanging out there in his wheelchair with um, his family, uh, two of his sons and his granddaughter, Lindsay, was there. Right. And he was talking to Mark Teixeira. And we were just kind of waiting for him to go by because that's the kind of respect you give yeah. a man like Yogi Berry. You yeah. let him by and wait for him and say hello. And he was just chatting with Mark Teixeira, and I got a chance to say hello to him on the way out. And that was it. That's it. That's the only meeting yeah. ever. And even for me, that was like you said, I've never, never seen him play, never – Never saw him manage even because I was three or four years old the year he managed the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. It was Yogi Berra right there. That's, that's a moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite lines <clears throat> and our yes to research on Twitter, Jeff Quagliata, brought this up to me. And I used it on Twitter yesterday because it really made me smile when he told me it. Joe Garagiola Sr. grew up with him in yep. that Italian section, the hills in St. Louis. And Garagiola once was quoted as saying – you know, I, I wasn't only not the best catcher in the major leagues, I wasn't the best catcher on my street. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> Yogi lived right across the street from him. So I just thought, you know, that really puts it into perspective. You know, a fellow major leaguer and those guys go way back. And this is when, you know, the, these guys weren't making millions and millions of dollars a year. And they actually made or deed at restaurants in the offseason. Gragiola and Yogi. 
Mm-hmm. Think about that. Owned a bowling alley. Think about that. A three-time AL MVP is saying, how many? Four? <laughs> just, I don't get I'll it. I'll give you a table, which is just as good as a booth. <laughs> I guarantee you that has been said before. But see what we're doing right now? You see how much we're laughing and yep. smiling and talk about them? That's the point. That's the underlying common denominator that I think really came across on a hell of a day on Yes Network and also YesNetwork.com. Our .com side did a tremendous job yesterday. It went on the air. A lot of people are at work. A lot of people are at school. They can't see it live. And we were on from 12 to 3. And 5 to 7 again. And And 3 to 5 with Michael. Right. And then 5 to 7 and 3 to 5 with Michael. There was a lot of content. And if you missed it, it was all, and it's still, on YesNetwork.com. So if you missed an iota, if you just want to sit by your computer and listen to some great stories, YesNetwork.com all there. And on our YouTube is channel the place as well. to be. Yep, and on our YouTube channel as well. We have all of, the, all of those who called in, and you know, Michael and Joe Girardi and Tony Pena and those who videoed in from Toronto and elsewhere. Um, they're all there. So you can live them you know, all day long in perpetuity. Uh, they will always be there. That said, <laughs> I hate to segue out of Yogi like no, that, but no, that no. said, to, to, go, to get to the title of this episode, because it's what we're going to talk about, too many wrong mistakes, Yogi once said, and now I present to you Chris Sheeran on the New York Yankees. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Sheeran, and this is my rant on the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Go, I am now Joe Beningo, pretty much. Bro. Think about it. Usually by this time of the season, he's complaining and crying about the Mets and how they didn't make a move. And how they're not going to make the playoffs yet again. And the Jets are off to a baloney 0-2 start. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know what? Now that's me. Now look, the Yankees are still four games ahead in, for, the, for the wild card. Yep. Okay. But, I, I, you know, I know you got numbers for me. I've got some numbers for We've you. We've both got numbers. I, I've got numbers for you. And, and I, you know, Brett Gardner, and deservedly so. And, and listen, Brett Gardner is my guy. I've... Loved this guy since 2005 when he was in Staten Island, for crying out loud. And I've praised him exponentially at points. Now I can knock him down. I have to. But it's not just him. He has been knocked for his second half performance. And here it is. This is since July 17th when they came back from the break. Gardner's at 200 with six homers, 23 ribbies, and an on base. This is your leadoff guy or number two guy. Depending if Jacoby Ellsbury's Depending hurt. on who's in lineup. Okay? 299 on base percentage. Brett Gardner scored 63 runs in the first half of the season. To this point, right now, 30. That's a very telling stat right there. But we keep going. Jacoby Ellsbury. I know he missed all of June, but that's before the second half began. Mm-hmm. 221, 5 and 22 with a 259 on base percentage. Which is akin to a lot of like light hitting shortstops. Like Cliff Pennington is a 259 OBP. That's terrible. Well, look inside of that. Now, I know you have those are the, are the, the general yeah, overall you can, numbers. You could go back and forth. It's look fine. inside of that. Brett Gardner hit 208 in August and is at 178 so far in September. It's September 24th. So it's not like you know we're doing this on Labor Day and right. it's like, well he, you know he had a couple of overs. He can't turn it around since the doubleheader on on the twelfth against Toronto where mm-hmm. he had that massive day at the stadium mm-hmm. in front of sixty two fans that right. stuck around for the whole thing. Right, it's four for thirty nine with five walks. Wow, 
This is your number two hitter who's hitting 100 with an OBP of 9 for 44. Do the math there. 150? I, I can't do that math that quick in my head. Ellsbury, same way. 324. He was hitting 324 after the game where he hurt his knee. 318 at the break because he came back the week before mm-hmm. and had, had success. 215 in July. 252 in August. 198 in September. He was 9 for 20 in the five games before yesterday in the Mets series and the first two Toronto games. 9 for 20, still hitting 198 in September. You want to know Those why? Those are two guys at the top lineup. You want to know why the Yankees are three and a half back as we taped this on Thursday? We're going to keep going, mm-hmm. and you're going to keep hearing why. That's part of it. The next one, it is, and that's why I want to get through it. I want to get through all of it because there's only a couple guys who really deserve not to be knocked. Alex Rodriguez, 278, 18, and 51 at the break. Monster numbers for him coming back from the year Would off. Would have taken the that suspension. for the full year. Absolutely. Since second half, 216, he does have 14 homers. He does have 33 RBI. But 216 and an on-base of 315. It's terrible. It's terrible. The fact that his on-base percentage is 100 points higher than his average is good in a vacuum, but the numbers themselves, not great. Brian McCann. Now, I thought... He was doing better than this. These numbers shocked me. 215, 12, 36, and 316. Now, look, not a big OBP guy. I get it. A catcher hitting He's in the a middle catcher, of the order. Right. Yeah, no. But again, in a, in a vacuum, 100 points better, pretty good. 215 to 315, no. Carlos Beltran. 298, 10, and 30 with a 367 on base percentage. He's got the highest on base on the team. 298. He's the only one near 300 along with somebody else who we'll get to in a second. But I've got nothing bad to say about this guy. This guy has turned his season around on a dime and has had some big, big hits for this team. The only issue that people have right now is that he looks very tentative in right field. Yeah, well, he's not going to DH with Alex Rodriguez on no, the team. So exactly. case closed there. Chase Headley, who the Yankees threw $14.5 million at a year. Four for 52, yeah, something like that. 13. 268, 3 and 31 with a 348 on base since the break. And inside the numbers, because this is what I have. Errors? 22 errors is, well, let me get to his, let me get to his numbers first. 370 hit in July, and everybody said Chase Headley is great, this, that, the other. Is Brooks Robinson still alive? 298, or two, I can't read my handwriting, 298 or 278 in August, 154 in September. Ah. Sitting 154. Now, 22 errors, tied for second in the American League with Brett Laurie, who plays in Oakland. Nobody cares. The left side of Oakland's infield, you, when they make a play, you Who's that, you Semyon? And- yeah, when, when they make a play, you're surprised. <laughs> Semyon leads the league with 34 errors, and Laurie has 22. So the left side of their infield minute, is one, two, and errors. I thought Moneyball was based on yeah. you know sabermetrics, and the, the left side of their infield defensive has 56 war. errors. How's that defensive war out there for Billy Bean right now? Um, Maybe he should have kept Will Ferrell on the team. Yeah, they they could put Brooks Robinson out there, and it'd still be negative at the end of the year. Oh uh, uh, boy! Now th- this is the top five in the American League in errors. Marcus Semyon, first season as a shortstop after being a utility infielder, right? Okay, he he sucks at shortstop. <laughs> we, we Laurie and Headley. Laurie's never been defensively great, and again, Oakland is terrible. Mm-hmm. Fourth is Elvis Andrus with twenty, shockingly, but at least Elvis Andrus provides some kind little of pop, little pop, good average, good on base, speed. Manny Machado and Josh Donaldson are tied for fifth with eighteen errors. Really, really, Machado, Machado and Donaldson, huh? 
Um, Donaldson, by the way, pretty gets, sure I'm he gonna, gets a pass. Pretty sure I'm going to take that. Uh, just, just saying. That I mean, guy is a. What, what was that graphic I saw the other night with runners in scoring position? Yeah, guy hits like 700. My God. I mean, he's he, he leads the league in run scored. He's been up there and hit. I mean, he's just a beast in that lineup. But anyway, a, lot of, a, lot, a lot of energy here today. I like it. It's just funny how the top five in the American League in errors. Two of them play in Oakland. Two of them are like. All stars, possible MVP candidates, and the one the one in the middle is Chase Edley. All right, let, let, let's keep going. Uh, the other guy who gets a pass for the second half, Didi Gregorius, who who we've talked about, you know, mm-hmm. leading up to this moment right now. But three hundred two, five and thirty three, uh, his on base three forty two, for a seven eight guy in the lineup. You can't ask for anything yeah, more than that. And he's had a lot of great games. I mean, that, that series in Atlanta. He was bonkers. I mean, you know, just and, and the next one, Greg Bird. Now, have you have you heard? Two fifty six, ten and twenty eight. The bird, bird is the word. This is August thirteenth. Okay, this is everybody else on this. We're list, at about forty games. He's been around. Everybody else on this list is like sixty games. Yeah, he's forty ish. He's forty. Okay, so t- let's just say hypothetically, twenty less games. He has. Eight less ribbies than the guy leading the pack, McCann, with 36. Mm-hmm. And, and what, half a dozen home runs, five home runs? What's the lead, 16? Ten. Yeah, but the lead is 16 or 14. Oh, no. What are you talking about? Who has the most home runs in the second oh, half? Oh, the most home runs is uh, Alex with 14. 14. So he's got four less home runs than A-Rod, who's got and six. And eight less RBI. Who's got 680. Yeah. In his career. Greg Bird, Bird has 10. Greg Bird is proving he belongs up here. Yep. He belongs. And... I was under the impression that everyone had heard. And Stephen, <laughs> I did hear. <laughs> and Stephen, and you know his name is Bird Dog. His nickname is Bird Dog. I've been on. It's on baseball reference. Joe Oriema will attest to this. Mm-hmm. Jerome Preisler, our good friend and former colleague, will attest to this. We have this discussion on Facebook, the four of us all the time. Yes. I have been on the Greg Bird train since 2012. Arizona Fall League. Yeah, he was the AFL. You've been v- talking about him the year, forever. The year he had in Charleston three years ago. Yeah, I've been, been on the Greg Bird train forever. since. I may or may not know my stuff, but I know about Greg Bird. Um, Rob Refsnyder is still in the witness protection program. So um, is Stephen Drew these days. Stephen Drew has now him. has now joined him. Please tell, let's let's go into this in depth. Please tell me Stephen okay. Drew's numbers. And I will. I, I'm going to go behind the numbers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Behind the music, Stephen Drew. Behind the numbers with Lou DiPietro. All right, Stephen Drew in the second half. Now, I did the top nine guys. I left to share off because let's face it, he you know he, he was since the end of August he wasn't there. I mean, I could have put him in there, but these are he these played are, the other twenty games. Bird did. These are pretty much the nine regulars uh, for the for the duration. So Stephen Drew, two thirty five, which you know is Mount Everest <laughs> compared to his first half. Two thirty five is Tony Gwynn. Yes, his first half five home runs and nineteen ribbies, and an on base. I don't know how you could be in the lineup with an on-base of 297. Easy. The top two guys in the lineup are worse. Are they not? Well, 259 for Ellsbury and 299 for Gardner. But when you have three, like if this is your lineup, and you have three guys in your lineup with OBPs under 300, and all the numbers Lou gave you on Gardner and Ellsbury already for September. And all three of which usually hit circularly after the first time through the lineup. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking under a microscope or a magnifying glass to find out what the problem has been for the Yankees recently, we are breaking it down for you 
right now. The lineup is the glaring problem on this Yankees team right now. We're gonna, and I'm going to break down a little further about how this lineup really struggles when it comes to top-tier pitching, front-line starters. But, Lou, Stephen Drew first. Here's the curious case of Stephen Drew. For five months, Joe Girardi said, we're going to go with the guys that got us here. Stephen Drew's not the problem. Blah, 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 all he said, right? Conspic- I don't think he said it like that, no. but he did say no. that. Conspicuous by his absence for the month of September, since Dustin Ackley was activated off the DL, is, in fact, Stephen Drew, who hit 230 in June, 245 in July, and 247 in August. Now, yes, he's been under 200 much of the year because his first half was Mario Mendoza looked like Tony Gwynn compared to his first half. Okay? Ouch. <laughs> Stephen Drew has played nine full games in September. He's... Boys and girls who don't know uh, Mendoza, by the way, we should describe it. The Mendoza line. The Mendoza line, which is when you hit 200. That is the Mendoza line. So if you're under the Mendoza line, boys and girls, you're under 200. Continue. He's got 34 at-bats. For the new listeners. 34 at-bats in total this month. Now, Dustin Ackley has performed very well. Dustin Ackley's hit 333 with two homers, six RBIs. Six of his 11 hits are for extra bases and his 33 at-bats all but two of which I think have come since September 1st. He had those couple of at-bats in, in August, the early part of August, right after he was acquired, or late July. Here's the curious case of this. I understand Ackley is also a left-handed hitter. Right. I understand he played second base three right. years ago before the Mariners got Robinson Cano. I understand Stephen Drew has been much maligned throughout the year. Now? I don't get it. Now, when Stephen Drew has upped his – he's at 201 – which, granted, September is dragging him down. But like I said, he hit 247 in August. What, what are those numbers? What are those batting averages again for all those guys? How many guys in the second half have hit better than 247 uh, in that nine? Uh, one, two, three. And one of them is Didi Gregorius. Who's at 302. Right. So now, now is the time that you, you uh, not not to and mention birds that, at two fifty six. So he's mention, right yeah, there. Not to mention that Stephen Drew has what sixteen, seventeen home runs. So yeah. Yeah, overall, so now is the time you do this. It's a little curious, a little weird, given the fact that a Gardner and Ellsbury have been not good and even more not good mm-hmm. in the, in the last few months. Chase Headley has gone from an all, looking like an all star to looking like he's not worth a tenth of his salary right. at at the plate. And this is this is Headley. Now I understand that Ackley is not a third baseman. I also understand that Gardner and Ellsbury, your guys, atop the lineup. However, Ackley does play left field and did play left field more than he played second base over the last couple of years. So how is it the curious case of Stephen Drew is out of the lineup when Gardner and or Ellsbury are performing the way they are, meaning that you could either take Gardner out completely and put Ackley in left, or move Gardner to center, put Ackley in left, take out Ellsbury, or put Stephen Drew at third because he's played third a few times to replace Chase Headley, who in September-ish, that Boston series, he was two for 10. That series in Boston at the end of, end of last month, beginning of this month, two for 10 against Tampa, one for 10 against Baltimore around Labor Day. Joe gave him a day off. Since then, he's been worse. He was, uh, you know, five for 17 in that four-game series against Toronto, had a good, good series, good comeback. Since then, he's three for 34. Against Tampa Bay, the Mets, and Toronto. So he has three more hits than you and I do since then. Right. Now, 
What's he hitting in the second half? Give that number one more time. 235. The way he's – how is he not getting a day off every once in a while to get Steven Drew? What happened? This is very. This is a very curious I, thing I to me that know. all of a sudden Dustin I Ackley – I'm not knocking Dustin Ackley, but the – these kind of things are why you hear so much about – you hear so much negativity about Joe Girardi and the way he manages by the book and this and that and the other thing because there's curious situations like this right? where Stephen Drew was starting to hit and now all of a sudden Dustin Ackley is taking his job after five months of saying this is our guy I, I when there's multiple players in the lineup did, performing much worse. It's something – you know, you start thinking like conspiracy theories. Did something get said? Did, did uh, Drew – do something to anger somebody, but Drew's the most one of the most laid yeah. back guys. Is it a in contract, that clubhouse? Is it a contract thing where you know in a month he's gone and you have Ackley under arbitration control for next year? So you're trying to find like this isn't the Red Sox where they should be playing. You're also trying. You're yeah. still trying to get into the playoffs, right. and you are still trying to win the division. That's what I'm saying. It's not the Red Sox you're where not, it's like, well, let's find out what Travis right. Shaw and Rosny Castillo not, can do. You're not putting the white flag up right. yet. So Although it, they might be just to lock in Tanaka for that, you know, wild. Card I, I'm game. of the opinion at this point, and we'll go into that when we get to the pitching later. But I'm of the opinion at this point that they should. But that that's neither here nor there right now. The curious case of of Stephen Drew and Dustin Ackley, it's a little weird. I just it's a it little is. it's it, a little it, weird. It is, and it comes at a time where you you scratch your head even more. I, I just you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Why do you do it now? And I'm going to say it again, like I say it every week. Where is Rob Snyder? Where is he? Why isn't he getting a look? Or at least in a bat against righties every now and again. Get, get him in there. I, 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 I don't get it. I wish someone could tell me why this kid isn't playing. I, I just don't understand. He, he's a righty with pop in his bat, and he's on the bench. Jose Perella got some starts after he got called up. And he's been called on to pinch run a couple times as well. I, like I said, it's... All the things Joe Girardi said this season and all the things he's done in September are now contradicting each other Yeah, when it comes to lineup composition. Well, so, I, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's just very – it's very weird. All right. The Yankees would have to have a massive collapse in order for them to miss the playoffs completely. I think they're six up on the second wild They card. are. Like the, the – On the Twins. The no, twins. five. Because the Twins are a game behind. Right. Whatever it is, they're, right. they're well up. They are. They'd have to have a Metsian collapse. Right. With 11 games to play, they're five games up on the, the Twins who are chasing the Astros. Right. Uh, so let's take it to the next level. Hypothetical, the Yankees cruise in. They're the number one wild card. Okay. Right now, uh, if the season ended today, which we both love, at least it's 10 days away from the end of the season. Yeah, so I it's know. Kind of, I say know. that tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> um, but the Astros, if they're that second wild-card team, let, let, me, let me just throw this out there. And this is why, it's a method to our madness, this is why we gave you the second-half numbers of this lineup. You could bet your bottom dollar that if the Astros start pulling away a little bit from the Twins, which they could do, Keuchel is going to start. That wild card game. Now, you could look at the splits of Dallas Keuchel and say, well, he stinks on the road. Advantage Yankees. Which is really weird given that Houston is a band box, but yes. Let me tell you why you shouldn't think that. Dallas Keuchel has one road win in 10 tries since May 9th. You know what that road win was? Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Lou. Ooh, ooh. What is 
1 East 161st Street, Bronx, New York. Yes. Seven innings, three hits, nine Ks, no walks. Keuchel's 2-0 and against the Yankees this year. He threw a complete game against them. That was in Houston. He had 12 Ks in that one. Total of 16 innings pitched, 21 Ks, a walk. You know what his ERA is? I'm going to say it's about two and a half or lower. Zero point zero. It is Blutarski's. No, is it Blutarski or is it Dorf? No, it's Blutarski. Zero point zero. Mr. Blutarski's grade point average. That's what Dallas Keuchel's ERA is. Daniel Simpson Day has no grade point average. He's out, he's he's in parts unknown right now. Mm. One road win in ten tries since May 9th. It was at Yankee Stadium. All right, so what if the Rangers have a collapse? They could do it. Could happen. And they, move, and they move into that second wild card spot. It's going to be either Cole Hamels or Giovanni Gallardo. Wow. <laughs> or, yeah, I say or, I know. Hamels, in his career against the Yankees, he's 0-2. One of those losses was with Philadelphia this year. Earlier this year, yeah. The one game the Yankees who, won against Philly. Who didn't have the offense that the Texas Rangers have. Not breaking any news there. Now, the Angels are also making a little move here, and so are the Twins. I, I, just, I just found something disturbing before you go on. Hit me. Dallas Keuchel's last three starts came on 9-11, 9-16, 9-21. Keep going with that math. 9-26, he'd be due to start, what's that, Saturday? Correct. 9-26. So then 27, 28, 29, 30, October 1st is next Thursday. Two, three, four, Friday, Saturday, five. Sunday, Monday, AL Wild Card is Tuesday. He's perfectly lined up to start the AL Wild Card game. That should scare you. It should. And That's what I was looking up. Right. Well, I appreciate that. Because I thought he was, but I wanted to double check because I don't like to give wrong information on a podcast I can edit in post-production. C.J. Wilson, 60-day DL, correct? Hmm. So it would be Garrett Richards? Would he throw him out there, even despite he's 0-3 with a 697 ERA at Yankee Stadium in his career? Jarhead Weaver? Throwing 88 miles an hour? I don't know. I don't, I don't worry too much about the Angels because I I'd worry the about Angels, the Astros and the Twins and the Rangers, really. Right. I think the Angels are like the, uh, the road you want to travel. They're like last year's Mariners. They're the team that's going to be there, but they don't really have a shot. Right. I mean, they have a shot, but you know what I mean. You would want the Twins to sneak in there. Because the Yankees have clobbered the Twins, right. especially at Target Field. And at Yankee Stadium. Well, I mean, Alex Rodriguez is huge three-home run day, and then they clobbered him the next day behind Evaldi. J.R. Murphy hit the big one. John Ryan too, Murphy right? did hit the big home run, yes, after A-Rod tied it, I believe. Right. So, you don't want to see the Astros. You don't want to see the Rangers. And their pitching is suspect because a lot of guys are hurt and or just coming back from being hurt. Here's another point I want to make. And I've talked to David Cohn about this. And this goes back to my point about the top-tier pitching that the Yankees lineup has a problem with. David Price, since the trade from Detroit to Toronto, 10 starts, he's 8-1, and one, the team is 8-2, and two, he's got an ERA of 195, he went five innings once, and that was because he was up 9 nothing on the Yankees in the fifth inning. Mm-hmm. There's no need to keep him out there. Cole Hamill since the deal. Nine starts, four and one, seven and two, the team, 373. He hasn't gone less than six. Price is also 3 0 against the Yankees. With a 171. And ERA. the one start he did, the one he didn't get a decision, he left leading. He did. I think it was in the seventh. 3 1. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. yeah. The Yankees came back on the bullpen. Right. right. 
That's the one Miller closed out up in yep. Toronto. <clears throat> Here's why I bring it up. And I bring it up because I have talked to David Cohn about this in the past. Having a guy like David Price, having a guy like Cole Hamels come into your team at the trading deadline with your team. And, and by the way, these teams are leading parallel lives. Mm-hmm. July 28th, both of these teams, Lou, were eight games back. Yep. They were afterthoughts. The Jays are 15-28 and 28 at home this year. So that should scare everybody going to the playoffs. They are 34-14 and 14 since the trade deadline. They packed that dome, and that dome is deafening. 34-14 and 14 since the trade deadline. The Yankees are 26-24. and 24. Can't happen. But here, here's the point. Here's the point. <clears throat> These guys, Price and Hamels, they lead by example. These guys come in. Now, they can't go out there. And pitch for the other guys in the rotation. And you look at Toronto. Dickey has never pitched in a playoffs. Burley has his share with the White Sox. Estrada has six innings with Milwaukee in 2011. Hutchison has been relegated to the bullpen. Never saw the playoffs. And Stroman never saw the playoffs. Guy like Price comes in. And I'm going to take everybody back. Most of you guys who listen to this, you're Yankee fans. So I'm going to take you back to 2009. And it's a mentality that that team had, that rotation had. And I know CeCe Sabathia was that ace. But A.J. Burnett had it too. A.J. Burnett, Andy Pettit, everyone on that staff was so f- afraid to drop the baton. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just you against the other team. It was you against the other guys on that staff. It was the competition. It was the competition between the five guys going out there every day taking the ball. David Price could do that to a rotation. He could make the other four guys step up and do what he's doing. He can't throw for them, but he could lay down that foundation. So the other four guys are so afraid if they have a competitive bone in their body. And if you've seen the way Toronto has played since he came over, you know they do. Again, like I said, look at their record since July 31st. This is what happens. It's a trickle-down effect. And did the Yankees have that or did they not have that? Andy Pettit was, you know, on the back nine of his career. He was on the 17th hole. Okay? He won every deciding game in that postseason run, and including the clincher in the World Series against the Phillies. Pitched every three and every six. And when mm-hmm. you have a guy like that in your clubhouse, every, he's like the Pied Piper. Everybody gets behind him. And look, when you have an offense like the Blue Jays, when you have a guy like Donaldson who's having just a ridiculous season. Probably going to be the AL MVP. Yes, and Encarnacion, and Jose Bautista, and Mm -hmm. Ben Revere setting the table. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible. And you look at the Rangers. Also, eight back on July 28th. And you know what the Rangers did when the Astros came in with a a game-and-a-half lead? They swept them. They did what they needed to do. They're one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. They've won 8 of 10 games. These guys coming over, it's a kick in the pants to everybody else. They, they call them out without calling them out. That's what this does. Now, I'm not calling out Brian Cashman here for not making a deal. Because 
I could guarantee you Brian Cashman was trying to go out there and wheel and deal, but he was mm-hmm. not going to give up on Severino. He was not going to give up a Greg Bird, and I, I agree with them. Mm-hmm. I would rather, and I've said this before, but I would rather the Yankees stand pat, get into the playoffs. If they lose the wild card game, they lose the wild card game. They kept their jewels from the farm. That's what they need to do. <clears throat> they need that next core to lead them, not just for a year, not just for one title. And I know you could sit there and say, well, the Yankees are about winning World Series every year. You can't do that every year. No. These guys, when they go out and they pitch against the Yankees, we went through the numbers. You know what this lineup has done in the second half. Now look, Lou, can baseball turn on a dime? Absolutely. Can a lineup just wake up mm-hmm. and start hitting the ball again? Can the Yankees score 90 runs in 10 games? They've done it this year. They have. But the Braves aren't on their schedule. No. Nor are the Phillies. Well, it's a good thing the Phillies aren't They've on got their the Orioles. They've got the White Sox with Chris Sale going in the first game. <clears throat> yep. The Red Sox are playing great baseball for Tori Lovello. And would love nothing more than, than to, to be ruin the, the Yankees. Yes, yeah. Exactly. This is not an easy schedule. And then down Baltimore the is still fighting for something. They may they not are. be by next weekend, but you know Buck Showalter is going to have that team out there. They're playing not going to lay down. No, absolutely Mm-mm. not. And if Chris Sale beats the Yankees tonight, they're four back with nine to go of Toronto. And this is where I got into where I said, you know, it's maybe time to wave the white flag. This is the big discussion. You talk about Dallas Keuchel being lined up for the wild card game. Right. You talk about how cool Hamels is doing. You talk about David Price. You talk about this. Let's talk about the New York Yankees rotation for a minute. Hit me. <clears throat> now. I've, I've vented long enough. It's for, your turn. For all of the. Save some energy, though, for your Eagles. I will. For all of, the, all of the vitriol that's been thrown about over the last two months about Brian Cashman not making a deadline move. Right. The one place where it may hurt is in the rotation. And it's not for the reason you may suspect. You go into a season, you have your five-man rotation. What's a good number for starts between those five guys? 140, 145? Yeah. Between those guys, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, 15 to 20 games are started mm-hmm. elsewhere. The Yankees' current top six, I'm combining Nova and Warren because Warren won the job in spring training knowing that Nova was eventually coming back. As of today, with 10 games to go, the six sextet, is that the word? Sextet? Yes. Of CeCe, Tanaka, Pineda... Avaldi, Nova, and Warren made 132 starts. Okay. With 10 games left, they're going to make at least eight more, you would think. Seven, eight more. Severino may start twice, and there may be some other, someone else gets thrown a spot start somewhere in there. So even if it's seven out of 10, it's 139. So they've hit that number, 140, right there, right? The problem is, is if they had gone out and gotten some depth, something in there in, in late July, in late August, you know, the Dodgers just sent Matt Latos packing. Could, you could do worse for one start. You'd be paying him sixty grand a day to come in and be a part-time solution. If they had gone out and gotten that and Nova was taken out of the rotation because he was not pitching well and Evaldi got hurt and Tanaka strained his hamstring, Adam Warren would have been pitching in the spot where Andrew Bailey gave up a three-run homer to exactly. Russell Martin. That's where – that's w- the one place if you really are a pundit or a fan or whatever and want to throw vitriol at Brian Cashman for what he did at the deadline, not coming out and getting at least some piece of depth to stash somewhere, that is the one place you could realistically do it because Adam Warren, as good as he's been – 
both in the rotation and the bullpen and whatever you've done with him this year, his absence in the bullpen hurts and hurt last night and has hurt on other occasions where Justin Wilson and or Dellen Batances and or Andrew Miller or two of the three or even all three are unavailable because they've been worked so hard. And, you know, one of the things we talked about that was going to be a strength down the stretch was all these kids coming up who, who have gotten a taste during the season. You know, I can't, I can't sit here and be negative about them all. I mean, they've done, they've done a decent job since they, since they came up. And Caleb Cotham and James Pazos, yesterday aside, giving up the first run collectively, right. have been the ones who've gotten into the circle of trust the yeah. most, it seems. But, yeah. again, you know, Bailey thought he had Russell Martin struck out. Replay shows the ball was a little outside, if you look at the overhead replay. But he gave up a, a, a double to Donaldson to lead off that inning. Donaldson gets moved over to third. They walk in Carnacion, and the wheels came off the apple mm-hmm. cart. It's just what happens. Well, you hit the nail on the head. Evaldi getting hurt, Tanaka with the hamstring, uh, forcing yep. you have to pluck your seven inning, seventh inning guy out of the bullpen. Yep. And that just <clears throat> throws everything out of whack. It's like taking a Cogswell cog, uh, Jetson's reference, out of, a out, of, out of a spacely sprocket, and things just go to hell. And that's what you're seeing right now with the Yankees. And I'm glad you brought up the rotation, because what I wanted to ask you, the point I brought up with a guy like Price and a guy like Hamels, who do the Yankees have in their rotation well, so that could like boast with, and hit their chest? Not that any of them would, but who do they have to set that example? Well, it depends on which part of the season you're looking at because each one has had See, it at different can't, times. Yeah, but right. that can't, you that need can't a guy happen. that could just do that. Yeah, I, was it yesterday or the day before, Cashman basically said that if we had a one-game playoff right now, Tanaka's the guy. Yeah. So now this is what I mean about lining up and conceding the wild card. You're three or four games out, depending on how you do tonight, tonight. with nine to go, which even if it's three— if you go nine and zero, Toronto basically has to go five hundred. Yeah, because and that's not happening. Because they have to go five and five. Yeah, because Toronto won thirteen of the nineteen meetings, so they have the tiebreaker. Right. So they just have to match within three or four, depending on tonight's result. What the Yankees do, and if the Yankees lose tonight and they're four out with nine to go, or ten, four Toronto's out with nine, four out with their nine feet to go. Up. Toronto's like we can go five and four and win the division over the last last week. They have ten left. They have 10 left. Mm-hmm. Toronto has nine. The Yankees no, they have, have 10. 10. No, Toronto's off today. Toronto's I off. thought the Yankees had 11 and Toronto had 10. After yes- yesterday, yes. Oh, now after it's yesterday. Down to 10 okay, and nine, 10 yeah. and 9. All right. <clears throat> they, have, uh, they have the Rays this weekend, and then they go to Baltimore and, and Tampa. That's the, right. that's the end okay, of the schedule three, for Toronto. Okay, 3-6-9. All right. So, Warren, Severino, Nova. Mm-hmm. They place Tanaka, pitch the series. Pineda's starting tonight, and you've got to figure CeCe's going to start tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Where do you slot in Tanaka? Here's the now. Here's the question. Now here's two options, and this has been a topic of discussion. They were discussing it on um, MLB Network Radio today. Mm-hmm. Um, Chad Jennings wrote an article about it on the uh, Low Hud blog for the Journal News mm-hmm. about it. Where do you put Tanaka in? If you if you absolutely know he's the guy that's got to start that wild card game, you've got to have him on four or five days rest on Tuesday. So that means you can do one of two things: do you let the entire rotation as is go one more turn? Put Tanaka in next Thursday in the home finale, and then he's on turn Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. He's on turn for Tuesday, right? You could put him in on Wednesday, move CC back a day, or you know take somebody out of the rotation, move guys up to get him that extra day of rest. But he's had so much rest. If he's only going to make one more start, he's going to have to go on regular rest in the playoffs. It's just the way it is. There's no extra days off unless you use five starters, right? Or if he's if he's good, do you try to get him in for two starts? 
Do you have him pitch Saturday against the White Sox, which puts him on schedule for Thursday, which puts him on schedule for the wildcard game, but he's got two starts instead of one. But then do you put him on a limited pitch count on Saturday and say, work your way back up, and then we'll throw it all out there next Thursday? What do you do? You know you need him for October 6th. You got to pitch him on Thursday. That way he's on regular rest right. for the wild card. But do you, is that his only start left this regular season? Or do you throw him out there on Saturday on like a 75 pitch limit and say, you're going to go 75 pitches no matter hell or high water, sort of like they did last year in Boston and you know against whoever it was before that? I, I would sign for that because that way he pitches regularly. Uh, his arm. You know, is used to that every fifth day, mm-hmm. every fifth day. Get out there, get out there. 75 pitches, fine. Mm-hmm. Put a limit on them. Hopefully, he gets you through six. If you do that now, think about this way. If you do that, then you assume Warren would pitch the next day, and then it would just go Warren, Severino, Pineda, CC, and then back to Tanaka, which takes Nova out of the rotation. Well, let me again. ask you this, too. If they're out of it, you know, out of the division, why not throw Warren back in the bullpen? And bring one of the kids up and have them have, have right. spot have Mitchell spot start. Have Mitchell spot start or Kakuan or These are the things that have to be decided. If you do the two spot with Tanaka and you go four guys in between and he pitches Saturday and then Thursday, you've got pretty much everybody lined up. You can juggle your weekend rotation based on where you are in the standings and what you're going to need in games one, two of yeah. the ALDS. So, so we're, yeah. The, the decisions it's, are going to be made by the next time we sit down and, right. and, and talk about this. And the thing about it is, one last thing, because I know we want to get to football. That we talk about, we don't really have to get to football, do we? <laughs> we talk about, we talk about things, and you can look back and say this and that and this and that. Whether the Yankees win or lose tonight, and they're three or four back with nine games to go, you can look back at three things that will tell you why the Yankees are in this position. They are six and thirteen against the team ahead of them in their division. That's that's number one right there. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays are thirteen and six against the Yankees this year. If that's eleven and eight. It's a one-game race. Mm-hmm. And if it's 11-8, and eight, that game last night was for first place. Yeah. Okay? Number two could be the rotation issue. Like I said, they've had to move things around, and it's weak in them. They robbed Peter to pay Paul, and it's weak in the wall, so to speak. The other thing is, you know, that phrase, you have to make hay when the sun is shining. You can say they're 21-23 and 23 in one-run games. They're this and that. They don't win in extra innings because they're bullpen. They're four and six against the two teams with the worst records in baseball. The Phillies and Oakland. The worst team in the NL, the worst team in the AL. They were one and two against the Phillies at home. And they were three and four against Oakland, including losing three out of four in Oakland. A stadium where it's hard to hit home runs, which has been their mantra. So do you want me to start talking about that too? Because <laughs> So let me just let me just say this. Say the Yankees win tonight and they're three out, right? Okay. If they're 8 and 11 instead of 6 and 13 against Toronto, if they win 2 out of 3 even against Philly and go 4 and 3 against Oakland, 1 2 3 4, third game up. I know you can't cherry pick games like that, no. but it's been a problem, you know. But it proves that games in April matter. matter. The last couple of years the Yankees have have had bad records against Houston when Houston was not good. You know, you have to make hay when the sun is shining and that includes whether it's April 1st or October 1st against Boston or Toronto or Philadelphia. Here, here, here's a couple more points on the Yankees before we move to football. I just want to, and I know I do this every week, but it's my weekly love fest for CeCe. 
I, I love this guy, and I love what he does when he goes out there. He's pitching on a brace. His knee's probably, like, held together by this thing. Mm-hmm. And he goes out there, and he guts it out. And he's pitching well. I think he's pitching to a one ERA over his last three starts. And you can look at him now and know even if he gets two more starts this regular season, he's got, what, five to six left? Even if the Yankees go all the way to Game 7 of the World Series, he's got five or six right. left. He's going to let it all hang out. He is. Because he he's got all offseason to rest. And that's what I love about the guy. And I just had to give him props really quick. But if you want – you know, we gave you the numbers in the second half. But if you want something even more microscopic, more the, the, the minutia of the Yankees – in a game like Le- in a big game, huge game, throwing an adjective that meant important. That was the game against the Blue Jays on Wednesday. It could have made them a game and a half out, game and a half, and made it extremely interesting. The top three batters in that lineup went one for twelve, and the top two went zero for eight. Which were you documented in the beginning there with all those numbers? It's a microcosm. Zero for eight. Your table setters can't go 0 for 8 in what probably was one of the biggest games of the year. There I said it. Anyway, moving on. Let's talk about better things. Speaking of too many wrong mistakes, let's move on to our National Football Conference East Division teams. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to rant really quick about the Giants, and then I am going to give you as much time as you want for your Eagles. Okay? Deal? Yeah, I only need four seconds. Okay. (sighs) Okay. So, we just gave our quarterback a hefty contract extension. Hefty. In the 22 to $24 million a year range for Eli Manning. Over the first two weeks of the season, he has managed to, I don't want to say single-handedly lose the games. I think he lost the one in Dallas single-handedly. Now look, if I'm on my couch and I'm looking at the play clock and the game clock, as the official is standing right next to the quarterback trying to get the scorekeeper in Dallas, it was kind of like an angel on Eli Manning's shoulder saying, hey, dope, they're taking their time with this so you could figure this out. you think he would have looked and saw, oh my gosh, you know what? We could run this down. All we need is a couple more first downs. Okay, they set the ball. Play clock at 40, running. Game clock. Running, Eli snaps the ball with 17 seconds left on the play clock. 17. Then we all know what happened on third down. We all know. They passed. They stopped the clock. And as I always used to say to Joe Oriema when he did this podcast with me, because the Giants have been doing this for the longest time, two 10-point leads in the fourth quarter, and they're 0-2. They, this is from the untouchables, Sean Connery, when the mobster breaks into his house with a knife and he says, just like a bringing a knife to a gunfight, just like the Giants bringing field goals to touchdown fights. And if you saw that Dallas drive, not the winning one, but the one before that, they went through the Giants defense like a hot knife through butter. This is a defense that was led by an undrafted Free agent at middle linebacker. And they played their hearts out the entire game. The two, posi- the two pretty much foundations of a football team, the defensive and offensive line, under much scrutiny. Tony Romo 
enjoyed tea and crumpets. He didn't even get hit. I don't think he got hurried. They put up a graphic, you know, the hurries, knockdown, sacks. Zero, zero, zero. Fake, 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 fake. Nothing. Dallas had no timeouts left. And they go right back down the field again. Then the Falcon game. Another 10-point lead. Giants could step on the throat late in the third quarter, like four minutes left. Eli Manning's inside the 10 again. Third and goal, a pass. He had plenty of time. Offensive line gave him plenty of time. Get sacked, fumbles. I know what happens. But then you listen to all the experts out there. The quarterback has to have that internal clock. Eli's alarm must be broken. That is inexcusable. That is a rookie, first-year, second-year quarterback mistake. This guy is also on the back nine. This is his last contract. He can't make those mistakes. You have to protect the football. Paul Dottino, who does a great job covering the Giants for WFAN, was on with Joe and Evan this morning. He's talking about the defense and how they've played and how the offense needs to step on people's throats and finish games. Just finish the game. You know, the defense has been on the field for X amount of time in the second half. You can, I know, they, you know the other teams have been going down the field on them, but you can't, you can't give the defense a hard time. And then two minutes later, he's saying you can't play prevent. That's where I have to say, Paul, you can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. And maybe I'm speaking at a turn here. You could help me out. But if a defense is gassed, as he said, are you throwing guys at the quarterback or are you having the defense relax so they could play prevent? If they're spent and they've got nothing left, are you worried that somebody's going to blitz and you're going to leave a, a, a receiver in man-to-man, co- man-to-man coverage and he's going to bolt down the field and, and beat you that way? You can't have it both ways. You can't have a defense that's gassed and keep going after the quarterback. I would, I would disagree. Mostly because I'm an Eagles fan and our offense is on the field for about 40 to 50 seconds per game been, out of 60 trust minutes. Trust me, I know. I, I have most of them on my fantasy team. But you almost want to rather let a big play beat you at that point than give them so many chunks of yardage at once. And that's what a prevent defense does. I know you can't do it, but, but if, a, if, a, if Steve Spagnuolo knows his team is gassed, and he knows they're breathing heavy because the offense is three-and-out punt, three-and-out punt. There's, there's a happy medium between Prevent and the 2001 Ravens. Let's put it that way. You have to find that. Spags is a better defensive coordinator than that. He is, and you know what? We're going to find out a lot about this team tonight Tonight against the Redskins. Here, Washington Redskins. As we tape this on Thursday. And if the Giants lose, make no mistake— this is another season that's over before October well, even starts. If Kirk Cousins makes mistakes like he did against Miami where he's rolling to his right and he's got nothing really downfield and he's got seven yards to go for a first down and he can pick up five on the ground, but he tries to throw for eight and throws an interception right into the opposing uh, player's arms, then, you know, you got a good shot. Victor Cruz has been out. <laughs> John Beeson is coming back tonight. I saw that they're going to put Kennard at defensive end. And you can say that you know, Eli did it single-handedly because if Preston Parker had hands, they wouldn't be 0-2. Well, that's true. He dropped two dropped, big third-down passes in Dallas. He probably dropped his walking papers on the way out of the building this week, too. That's a Joe Ramage joke. I know. I, I saw it on Facebook. And James Jones has three touchdowns for the pass. I, I just I don't get 
You know, Coughlin came out, and I, this is another reason why I love Coughlin. He defended his player and to Ruben the very— Randall was invisible last week, wasn't he? Was he not? The whole season. Yeah. It's nothing, so was Roddy White, which is really new. weird for Atlanta. But. It's nothing new. Yeah. But at least he's got, you know, Julio Jones. Yeah. And I know Beckham is there, but that's another thing. You can't have— Whatever it was, six for 137 in the first half, and then have one catch in the second half. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on. And if on. you do, your other guys have to step up, and you can't be dropping passes. And, and, like yeah, yeah, and Ruben Randall, uh, I, I don't know what they pay this guy for. I, I, is he not getting away from the – I don't know. It's just this team year after year, and I know they won the Super Bowl in 2012, and I know they won it in 2007, but you want results. You at least want to get back to the playoffs. This is inexcusable. And Coughlin sits there and takes the hit. And I, I started saying, he went down with Preston Parker. Talked about his toughness. He wouldn't give any other statement but his toughness. He didn't say anything about dropping balls. He stood by his, his player even through the cutting. Mm-hmm. And that's something I really admire about Tom Coughlin. He's that old school army mentality guy. And, you know, I I can't put these losses on him. I know we put the one in Dallas on him. He deserves some of the blame, but not all of it. Well, it's like I've said with Doug back in the yes men days. I think this is it for Tom. And I say, I've said this three years in a row running around, but there comes to a point where we're just like Bobby Cox in Atlanta. You just reach critical mass and it's time to go in a different direction. And I think this is a new voice. This is now. Here's my four-second synopsis on the Eagles. Ready? Yeah. In the words of Jay Sherman, the critic, they stink, they stink. Four seconds. Four seconds. I was watching the time. The Eagles' front seven is fantastic. Their secondary probably couldn't beat Kentucky. Yeah, but the Giants won a Super Bowl that way. Right. In 2007. If I see the, hi, I'm Seahawks, Byron Maxwell, and I have DirecTV, hi, I'm Eagles, Byron Maxwell, and I have Cable, or DeMarco Murray, or insert other player in there one more time, I'm going to shoot the person who puts it on Facebook. But it's true. The cornerbacks, the best cornerback on the Philadelphia Eagles roster is the starting strong safety. That tells you all you need to know right there. The best cornerback on the roster is the starting safety. Well, that's why he's the slot cornerback. Okay. The front seven's been great. Kiko Alonso being out, Kendricks being out, that, 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 that hurts. One of them you could live without because they were kind of rotating, you know, the Alonzo Ryans kind of thing, whatever. Two of them being out, you got a rookie taking snaps in the middle. That's one thing. The defense has been playing very well considering they were on the field for over 40 well, minutes. What about Dallas. the offense? I'm getting there. The offense, on the other hand, should all be taken out back and shot. It's pretty rough. Sam Bradford is not a good quarterback in this system. He looks lost. Whether Sam Bradford is a good quarterback or not is up to you to decide. His career numbers say he's not. He looks lost. In this system, he looks lost. He stood there in the pocket, and he looked like, you know in a video game when you're kind of looking around and the, the, the character just kind of moves like you're turning a dial? That's how Sam Bradford moves in a pocket, like he's on a track. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, any mobility. And good luck with the Jets secondary no. this week. He doesn't have any mobility whatsoever in terms of, like, quick movement. Do you think they beat the Jets this week? I don't know. 
He doesn't have any mobility in terms of quick movement. The offensive line, our two best guards, are currently playing in Denver and Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And Alan Barber and Andrew Gardner have not been good. And DeMarco Murray, every time he got the ball on Sunday, was hit five yards in the backfield. And Sproles hasn't even... He didn't even get touches in the game against Dallas. Now, compound a quarterback that looks lost, an offensive line that can't run block, with a team that has three number three receivers on the field at any given time. Nelson Aguilar is a rookie. Could he be just the way Jeremy Macklin was eventually? Yes, but he's not now. Jordan Matthews is a second-year player. Was he great as a third receiver in the slot last year? Yes, he was, because Cooper lined up as the starter a lot of times last year. But he hasn't, hasn't done that. His, his offensive contribution on Sunday came in garbage time. And you can't be dropping passes that he's... Much like Preston Barker, you can't be dropping the kind of passes he drops. Riley Cooper is what he is. Josh Huff... The less I see of him, the better. And that leaves my, the, the reanimated corpse of Miles Austin. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I mean, we've got, we've got five receivers. Oh, baby. Three of them are number threes at best, and one of them's barely a number four, and the other one's a kick returner. Like, <laughs> the reanimated. There's nothing. There's nothing there. And it's oh, boy. the NFL has figured out Chip Kelly's offense. And when you combine that with a, a guy who can't run it, I know Nick Foles hasn't been lighting the world on fire in St. Louis, but at least they beat Seattle. Well. So that's, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And this is going to be a huge game. And and this is why I said I don't know when you ask if they beat the Jets. The Jets' front seven is also pretty good. So Sam Bradford or Sanchez, if God forbid it's this game where Sanchez gets some or all of the playing time is going to be under fire, and the running game is going to have trouble. If they had that much trouble with Dallas's front, they're going to have a lot more with the Jets' front on the road. Compile that with the Jets' secondary being what it that's is. That's what I'm talking about. That's going to spell trouble. How did Andrew Luck do? Right. And I know the Colts are in turmoil, but Andrew right. Luck has proven mm-hmm. since he started that he could play quarterback. And it's quite amazing how Andre Johnson went from elite wide receiver to afterthought and yes. was supposed to be the best offense in football. Thank you. Weird. Thank you for that. Maybe he and fantasy maybe, football. Maybe he and Dustin Ackley are the same person. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> um, on the other side of the ball, though, the Jets. If the, if Eric Decker can can't play, depending on the status of his hamstring, that's going to be interesting. The one thing the Eagles do do well is keep running backs in check. Their their run defense has been good. Their front seven has been good. It's going to be tough without the two guys in the middle. But if Fitzpatrick's not the most mobile of guys either. If the Jets can't run the ball, it's going to be another one of those games like last week against right. the Cowboys it's, where you're not going to be able to right. watch it. The last Jets-Eagles game I went to at the Meadowlands was 13-9 to was the final score. The Eagles won. Donovan McNabb threw a touchdown pass to Kevin Curtis. was the only touchdown in the game. It was one of those passes where the ball went maybe a yard and a half forward, and Curtis took it the other 78-79. to it was a screen, like a wide receiver bubble screen, and he took it to the house. All right. And it was terrible, that game. And this game could be a lot like that, especially if the Jets can't run the ball. If they can run the ball, they're going to win by 20. So if the Giants lose tonight against the Redskins, they're at the Bills, home for the 49ers, at Philly, <laughs> at home for the Cowboys, and then at Saints and at Buccaneers versus Patriots before the bye. Think, think, about, think about this, because Dallas plays Atlanta this week, right? Correct. The, the Atlanta's run through the NFC East continues unabated. Yes. 
That's a huge game. Dallas could lose. It is. Brandon Whedon. Dallas right. probably if, should lose if that If Dallas game. loses that, it's in Dallas. That's yeah. the only saving grace for them. But if Dallas loses that game, and somehow the Giants and the Eagles could scratch out wins, right. the division's right back to anybody's ball game. Now think about this. On the other hand, the Redskins win tonight. Dallas loses to the Falcons. Doesn't matter what happens to the Eagles because they're screwed. You have the Redskins and the Cowboys tied atop the division at 2-1. and one. The Redskins have a division win in hand already. The Giants are 0-2 in the division. 0-3 against the conference. Right, and 0-2 in the division. The Eagles, it doesn't matter. Like said, it's an AFC game, so right. no matter what in terms of tiebreaker, it does nothing right. other than just the record. Correct. That's but, why I brought up the conference But you're the looking, Giants. you're looking at a team that Dallas is 2-0 in the division, but the Redskins have a division win now and the same record as the Cowboys. That could get quite interesting if the Redskins develop a little bit and Tony Romo misses as long as they think and Des Bryant misses as long as they think. Yeah. We might be looking at the NFC West of a few years Seven ago or last year's NFC South where if you're 8-8, eight and eight, you're winning the division handily. It, it, whichever way the wind blows is which corner of the dumpster fire I, is going to be least damaged come week 17. I agree with you, but to even get to 7-9, and nine, if you start 0-3... The Giants have to go seven and three. The team, the team in the best shape right now, especially if they win tonight, is the Washington Redskins. No, sorry, seven and six. My, I think it's seven and six. If they go, on yeah. But think about that. If they win tonight, the team in the best shape in that division is the Washington Redskins. Yeah, because they have the. Divisional win if they yep, beat the Giants. The Giants tonight. will be zero and three, zero and two in the division. They've the Eagles the Rams. are Rams. Yep, Eagles are zero and two, zero and one in the division. The Cowboys are, de- depending on what happens, either three and zero or two and one, but two division wins in their two wins. But their guys are hurt. The Redskins are the team in the best shape in this division if they win tonight. That's scary. Yeah. As I said, whatever way the wind blows, the opposite corner of the dumpster fire is going to be in the best shape. <laughs> and on that note, I just it's. <laughs> Yes, the NFC East smells. There's going to be three new coaches in the NFC East next year. I'm going to go on record and say that right now. Because... The genius? Gone? No. Oh, Chip's going to stay. No, Chip's gone. <laughs> if Jeffrey Lurie is a lot of things, but he's not stupid. He didn't look too happy last no, week. he's a lot of things, but he's not stupid. And if the Eagles go 6-10 and 10 with, you know, Chip bought the groceries and the meal gives everyone food poisoning, he's not going to get another chance to cook. Nice because Parcells he, callback. Thank you. He's already at that point. He'll 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 have the mystique or the stigma of already having tanked the franchise over, and you can't do that. Andy Reid had 15 years, and the first bad one he had, he was out. Chip's not going to get that long because this isn't a new era where they just drafted their franchise quarterback number two overall. They traded for a guy who was drafted number one overall and sucks. That's one. Number two, like I said, time for a new voice in New York, and he's a another hit away from being done. Yeah. Um, like I said, this might be it for Coughlin in New York. And you got to you gotta always take the Redskins at, like, almost even money for a coaching change in the offseason. <laughs> especially, especially given how this Kirk Cousins RG3 thing ends up playing yeah. out. Because we know that the owner loves RG3. I say on October 19th when we do our thing, instead of wearing Giants and Eagles jerseys, we just wear, like, those generic Buffalo Wild Wings jerseys and just say, like, hey, football! Because I'm embarrassed to wear either one, quite frankly. Yeah, well, that's true. I'd be embarrassed to wear my own at this point. That's true. And the one I have is Justin Tuck, so he's not even on the team anymore. I don't think you could squeeze into my O.J. Anderson jersey. 
from no. from nineteen. I do have I do have one of the things I found um, in my in the cadre of stuff that I uncovered over the last couple weeks in, in when I was on assignment. Nice way to put that. Well, um, I'm not going to no. tell people um, where you were. Was a picture of me dressed up as a New York Giant for Halloween in like 1987. Why? Because they were. Did you lose a bet? No, you know, like when you're seven, you don't really know anything. They won the Super Bowl. And yeah, they won the just, Super Bowl in 86. You were riding you know, on like, that. Yeah. And then a strike, I think they were six and nine or something like that with the. Uh, Scrubs. Yeah, but you know what? You're seven. You don't know any better. When you go to Kmart or Caldor, they have the uh, you know the the Hutch yes. football helmets. I, I know it well. So as as well as Underoos, I yeah. had my fair share of Superman and Batman tidy. I also found my 1992 Little League team photo, which is fantastic. You know, um, you know the one I'm talking about where it's got the, the you your baseball card in the corner and then your whole team photo in the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know found, exactly what you're I talking about. I found that too. I was in my sophomore year of college. So anyway, we're gonna wrap things <laughs> along with a whole bunch of other stuff that my parents kept that I don't know why they had, but yeah. I also found my third quarter uh, junior year of high school report card in a box. Really? I don't really know why you keep that, but wow. Yeah, a lot of stuff got thrown away. Good times, but the picture uh, if I can find it. I'll, I'll bring in that picture to show you of me in a Giants uniform. All right. I, I look forward to that. I do. It's in there somewhere. It's either with me, some stuff I brought home. My father passed away, by the way, if anyone's wondering where the hell I was. I wasn't going to no. say it. If anyone's wondering what happened, yeah, I went to Florida. My dad passed away on Labor Day, so I've been gone since. Uh, but it's either with me at home or it's with I, – I had a bunch of my stuff shipped up that had been in either storage or my dad's garage. Um, shipped up that should be here next week, so I'll sort through it eventually and, and find that. It'll be a hidden gem. All right. I look forward to it. It'll be fun. For Lou DiPietro, I'm Chris Sheeran. This has been the Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com. And don't forget, you could download it for free at iTunes, at iTunes Podcast. Just type in C-H-R-I-S space S-H-E-A-R-N show you can listen to this lovely podcast 70 minutes of goodness yes the magic hour plus has been reached we'll see you next week everybody <laughs>